We can do better than that, church. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Hail, hail to the Savior of the world. Hail to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Bow with me. God, we want to, uh, we want to glorify you. We want to praise you and honor you in everything that we do. God, this time of year, our hearts and minds are drawn to the beauty and majesty and power and, 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 and might of the gift you have given us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, through the darkness of our worst days and and the sadness of our deepest valleys, God, you came down from heaven in the form of a helpless, precious child. And God, you change our lives every day through the love you showed to us by sending us Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, we are going to worship uh, the Savior, the Lord's Savior, our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. While you're turning uh, in Matthew's Gospel to chapter 2, I want to read uh, some verses I was reading this morning just to encourage you. Uh, Matthew 1, starting in 22, the Bible records that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's not fair. I was thinking about clay, and I was trying to fight back some emotion, and you know I'm not an emotional guy. And Kirsten and I... They would be sitting up front right here where I could see them. Kirsten and I went to visit Hawkins, uh, Clay and Rhonda's new baby in the hospital. And I just want to praise and glorify God that Hawkins favors his mother. When you see this child, you'll agree with me and you can glorify and honor God with me. And I thought to myself, man, when, when, when I was broken and messed up, and when you were broken and messed up, God sent something so precious to us as an innocent child to be with us no matter how dark the night gets. No matter how deep the valleys get, God is with us and He is for us. And He's going before us. He's fighting alongside us and He's laying out the path. And if we will just follow, we'll be set free. That's beautiful. I love this time of year. Good night. I love this time of year because I love what God did for you and for me through Jesus Christ, his son. All right, if I can get myself composed, we're going Matthew chapter 2. I want to start in verse 13. If you got your uh, church app this morning, I'm going to switch to the Old Testament. This uh, series, The King is Here, focuses on Jesus as the fulfillment of every word of Scripture. Every Old Testament prophecy, every promise of God is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's who you are looking for in life. He is the answer to the problems in your life. He is the fulfillment of every satisfaction and longing of your heart. And we're going to look at how the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. In this time of year, we celebrate That the king has come. The king is here. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. God tells us in his word, when, when they had gone, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, Jesus' bonus dad, proves himself time and again to be one of the most faithful and obedient followers of God in all of Scripture. The angel says to Joseph, get up and take this child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay here until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. Listen to verse 14, very next words recorded in Scripture. Joseph does not hesitate. He doesn't call his friends, get his finances in order, make sure he's got enough sustenance for the journey in obedience and complete and total surrender to the word of the Lord. Joseph gets back up, takes his child and his mother during the night and leaves for Egypt. Let me pause right here and just say, I have three children and they are the three biggest blessings in my life. And we also have family that's nine hours away. And I cannot imagine making that journey without some of our modern comforts, a vehicle that keeps the air conditioned or heated, that keeps the elements out, that turns a few-day journey into a nine- or ten-hour journey. And let me just say, nine or ten hours with an infant child feels like a two- or a three-day journey, ladies and gentlemen. So often we feel the need, my bride and I, to bring everything, including the kitchen sink. You've heard me joke about this before. Whenever we travel with our kids, by the grace of God, we have made it to the point where we don't have to have everything in the kitchen sink. We can leave the kitchen sink at home now. Joseph gets up, a man of faith, in total surrender. He doesn't pack anything. He doesn't notify anybody. He doesn't send a forwarding address. And he and Mary, during the night, leave for Egypt. That's where he stayed until the death of him. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. We get the conclusion of this journey in Matthew 2 and 19. Skip a few verses down in your Bible. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life, are dead. God doesn't leave Joseph hanging in Egypt. God does not leave the word he spoke to Joseph unfinished. God completes what he starts. Can I get an amen? The word of God may be something you are waiting on fulfilling, on God fulfilling in your life. You may be waiting months. You may be waiting years. In some cases, it might feel like you've been waiting decades. What we learn from this story is that God always fulfills His promises. God always finishes what He starts. Let me give you some context to Matthew chapter 2. There's been roughly a 400-year period between the last message from a prophet and the birth of the Messiah recorded right here in Matthew chapter 2. The last prophet to give God's people a word from the Lord is a man by the name of Malachi. If you are in your Bible in Matthew chapter 2 right now, if you turn a few pages back, you get the prophecy of Malachi. It's the last word of the Lord in the Old Testament, and there's a 400-year period between that moment and the birth of the Messiah. As I was studying this and, and reading some scholars' take on the birth of King Jesus, you'd have to dig into the Hebrew words in Malachi to get this last word in Malachi. If you're, if you're there, Malachi chapter 4, I don't have it on the screen, verse 6. The Old Testament ends with a certain word. In, in Hebrew, it's harem. 
And in your Bible, if you got the NIV, it's translated as curse. Other translations put it as destruction. And that, in a word, summarizes the consequences that the people of God, the nation of Israel, are experiencing because of their disobedience and because of their faithlessness. And if we turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, the first sentence in Matthew chapter 1 is a record of the genealogy of Jesus. That's two Greek words, New Testament, we have recorded in Greek. And those two Greek words are biblos genosos, which is translated in our Bibles, a record of the genealogy. But it's the same phrase we get at the start of the Scriptures themselves. Genesis, which means a beginning. And Matthew's readers, the Jews... Of, of Matthew's day, as they were reading this, as they were studying this, they would have picked up on that and they would have realized this is the mark of a new beginning. Could this really be when the curse comes to an end, when the destruction and the desolation, the depression finally gets reset and we get restarted and we get another chance? God's people had been looking for a deliverer. And in Christ Jesus, the Deliverer has come. For the nation of Israel living in the promised land at the time of Matthew's writing, Rome had conquered the world. Caesar was king. And Israel, the chosen people of God, were subject to Roman government. God's chosen people were torn between loyalty to the state, loyalty to Rome, and obedience to Jehovah God. And And some of God's people had learned to exploit this scenario for their own personal gain. There was this complex political and social hierarchy which oppressed the poor, the poorly connected, and the poorly educated. As we'll see, those are the very people that the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and to save and deliver from their slavery. Certainly... For God's people who were desperate for deliverance, a new beginning had come. The genesis, the start of the king of kings' life and ministry had begun. And at this very moment, the Savior of the world has been born. An angel has appeared to Joseph. He's told him that his wife is going to give birth. And this child will be A son named Emmanuel, God with us. And his name should be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The king is here. Joseph and Mary at at this point in scripture by Matthew chapter 2 have been visited by wise men, magi from the east, who visited Herod, the leader of the Israelite kingdom, before they made their way to Jesus. And while they were with Herod, they indicated that they were seeking the Messiah. Herod, angry and afraid, eventually begins to search for and attempts to begin murdering any child that could be the Messiah. So an angel in our text appears to Joseph and says, you got to get out of here, man. Go. And Joseph obediently obeys. Now Matthew, in in chapter 2, in the verses that we've read, is referencing... An Old Testament passage of Scripture. It's from Hosea, 
chapter 11, and I'm going to read you from verse 1 and give you some of this text. Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, the Bible records that when Israel was a child, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet Hosea, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went from me. They sacrificed to Baals, and they burned incense to images. Hosea's words here occur 1,500 years before Jesus was born. The son in Hosea's text is not necessarily the person Israel, Jacob, but the nation Israel, God's chosen people. This is a young God-dependent, helpless group of people who consistently wanders away from the Lord. Hosea's verse in chapter 11 references an even earlier text. Follow with me here. Exodus chapter 4. In Exodus 4, God's people are in exile. They're in Egypt. And there's a leader in Egypt, Pharaoh, who has essentially enslaved and imprisoned the people of God. And God, seeking to deliver His people, sends a man named Moses to lead His people from their captivity. And God asks Moses in Exodus 4 to say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your Firstborn son. Now, there, there's getting ready to become obvious to you some significant parallels in what we're reading today. Think about this. God endured slavery. God's people endured slavery in Egypt for approximately 400 years. The length of time between the prophecy of Malachi and the arrival of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, about 400 years. And while the people of God were enslaved in Israel, uh, were enslaved in Egypt, this wasn't a walk in the, in the park. Abuse, torture, hunger, brutality, all led to bitterness and sadness in the hearts of God's people. They were in prison. They were enslaved. There wasn't a way of escape, and there was no way out and no relief in sight. Can you imagine day after week, after month, after year, the same misery. No doubt Israel was asking themselves questions. Has God forgotten His people? Have the promises of God failed? Where is God anyway? And now Moses approaches Pharaoh and reminded God's people that God hasn't forgotten, His promises are true, and help is on the way. God proceeds to work miracle after miracle after miracle to deliver His people and set them free. Now for the nation of Israel, surely things go from good to great here, right? They've seen God work miracles They've been delivered by the God of the universe who made his power and majesty obvious in the miracles he worked to set them free. Surely Israel can't go wrong, right? And almost immediately, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have time to cover this history. God's people desire to go back to their captivity. 
They begin worshiping other gods and continually follow after pagan idols and burn incense to other little g, false gods. And that's exactly what God says through the prophet Hosea in chapter 11. The more God called Israel, the more God helped Israel, the more love God demonstrated to Israel, the farther Israel went from God, the more they pursued gods of the nations surrounding them, the more they tried to fit in, the more they tried to do it their own way, the less they pursued God. And isn't that the way it is for some of us? God works a miracle in our lives. God heals some hurt. He sets us free from bondage. He helps us overcome a difficult season, sends a friend at just the right time with an uplifting word of encouragement. And as quickly as our passion for Him is ignited, we allow that passion to fade and begin pursuing natural pleasures instead of a supernatural and satisfying Savior and Lord. The nation of Israel failed and failed miserably. (laughs) But God had a plan. Can I get an amen? The plan of God was to send a Messiah, His one and only Son, into the world to take away the sin of the world and truly set the chosen people of God free. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is God's son, and he's the true Israel. And Matthew's original readers, if we read Matthew chapter 1 through about Matthew chapter 4, would have immediately noticed the parallels in Jesus' life and the history of the nation of Israel. I want to run through that real quickly, and I've got a graph that I made you on screen for your reference. First, the Israelites sought safety in Egypt. In Genesis 41 and 42, the Israelites are in famine in the land of promise. And Jacob tells his sons to go to Egypt and buy grain where there is plenty. The Israelites then seek safety in Egypt. The same way that Jesus seeks safety in Egypt in our text from Matthew chapter 2 from Herod. In both stories, the firstborn is in danger. In Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh, who doesn't know Joseph and has no previous history with the Israelites, has seen how powerful that they've become. And he decides to kill every Hebrew boy that is born by throwing them in the Nile, Exodus 1.22. And in our text in Matthew 2, Herod, afraid of the Messiah, has decided to kill the firstborn children. Obvious parallel there. Israel in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 2, you should write this down. The Apostle Paul records that as they crossed through the Jordan River, Israel were baptized into Moses in the sea. Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 is baptized in the Jordan River. Obvious parallel. And maybe the most obvious is found in Matthew chapter 4. Our Lord Jesus is tempted, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and fasted 40 days and 40 nights, then is tempted by the devil. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 6 tells us the last part of of the journey of the Israelites to the land of promise. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt, had died since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them 
They wouldn't see the land he had promised to give their ancestors. A land flowing with milk and honey. Ladies and gentlemen, where Israel had failed, Jesus Christ would succeed. Jesus obediently and humbly would turn to the Lord and the Word of God and the plan and will of God and would carry it out in complete submission. Jesus is the fixer of the failures of Israel. Jesus is the writer of any wrong the Israelites have committed. He mends their brokenness. He fills their emptiness. Jesus is what Israel had been looking for. Jesus is what Israel needed to find satisfaction. And Jesus would fix and forgive Israel's past. And in Jesus, Israel would find a new start. And you and I, by the grace and mercy of God, can find our failures fixed, our right, our wrongs righted, our brokenness mended, and our emptiness filled by Jesus Christ, the Savior of the, of the world. God delivers Jesus out of Egypt. And thus Jesus becomes the deliverer of those metaphorically in Egypt. So what is Egypt biblically anyway? Well, if you and I looked up a definition of Egypt first, we might come across this idea that it's a modern Arab state in northeast Africa, beset by political and economic and certainly constitutional difficulties. We might decide that it's a land dominated by the Nile River, the Sahara Desert, the Red Sea, and the Sinai Peninsula. Or a tourist destination where we might see the great pyramids and other ancient monuments. But let me give you a verse of Scripture. This is Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land, listen to this, of slavery. Jesus is literally called out of the land of slavery. And the good news, church family, is that you and I, through Jesus Christ, become the true Israel. Those who are of the true Israel are not born into national Israel. And it doesn't matter who our natural parents are. It matters who our spiritual father is. And through Christ Jesus, we can be adopted into the family of God and as the church become Israel, the true people of God. In Jesus Christ, the church is ransomed. Our debt is paid in full. The church gets delivered from slavery. So in Jesus, there is no more imprisonment. There is no more bondage. There is no more captivity. There is no more slavery. Can I get a witness there? You and I, ladies and gentlemen, are all called, hallelujah, out of Egypt. When Israel, when Trent, when Clay, when you were a child, I loved you. And out of Egypt, I'm calling my son. I want to reference 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 in conclusion. John the Revelator, who was absolutely transformed by what we've been talking about here this morning, put it like this. 
See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is, this is so beautiful, that is what we are. This time of year is significant for me, and I want to give just a two-second testimony. December 2nd of every year, I celebrate another year of being set free from drugs and alcohol and addiction. We give God a hand clap of praise for that. And can I just tell you, there were a lot of names that I've been called, and I've called myself. And it's still hard for me to accept this, but Jesus Christ calls me a child of God and looks at me and says, Trent, that's what you are. You have been called out from your slavery by Jesus Christ who was called out of the land of slavery and through him you can find true freedom. And I'm up here sweating my tail off trying to preach up a storm to you to inspire you to be set free by Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords who offers freely His love, grace, and mercy, and true, authentic freedom for each and every one of you. So have you heard that call? Has God been working on your spirit? Has He been trying to call you out of that captivity, that land of slavery you've been living in, into a land of freedom that flows with milk and honey? If you've heard the call, I encourage you as we pray and wrap up our services this morning that you respond and surrender your all to Him. God who gave his all to you. And if you're carrying any burden this morning, as a church family, we want to remind you that God wants to shoulder that burden and exchange yours for his. And in him you'll find true rest. And we want to surround you and uplift you and encourage you as you unburden your load to the Lord and and he exchanges your burden with his. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, uh, God, I hope you are glorified in all that we do, not just what we do on Sunday mornings. And God, as we glorify you and live out your will for our lives, we find true freedom and satisfaction, true deliverance. Because you call us out of the things that hold us captive. You call us out of the things that enslave us and imprison us, and you set us free. If there's any here bound this morning, God, I ask that they'd hear your call. And if there's any here who are carrying a heavy burden, I pray that this morning they'd surrender that to you in exchange their burden for yours. They'll find that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me, church, while together we sing.